You are listening to The Real Faith Stories Podcast, interviews with people who chose to boldly follow their faith. I'm your host, Brian Robinson. Now, let's meet our guest and hear their story. Dave, welcome to Real Faith Stories. It's an honor to have you here. Tell me a little bit about your business background and what you've been doing the past several decades. Thank you for having me. Uh, anything that my crazy life can do to bring glory to God, I'm I'm in. Yeah, I've had uh, <laughs> I've had two jobs in my whole life: uh, a paper boy and um, involved with my uh, parents' uh, moving and storage company, Ace uh, Moving and Storage, out of Oklahoma City. Okay. My parents bought uh, this company in August of 1970. And moved us up here from Dallas. I grew up in Dallas, whole life in Texas. Don't hold that against me. Uh, moved <laughs> up uh, here uh, within a month of moving up here. I'll never forget the day my parents set me down and uh, my stepdad, actually, I call him my dad. I love him like no other. But he, he said, Dave, your mom and I have been talking and we believe about 12 hours a week. Keeping the warehouse clean would be adequate compensation for you living in this fine home. <laughs> <laughs> so he he had my attention, and uh, then he asked the question. He asked it. He said, "Are you in or are you out?" <laughs> Obviously, I was in, so I <laughs> shot my hand up and said, "I'm I'm in. What do I do?" And so I became the uh, director of warehouse cleanliness, otherwise known as trash boy <laughs> at the young age of 14. And I tried to get out of the company. Uh, I went, started pre-med in college, uh, but the lure of the, of the family business and the moving business kind of gets in your blood. Uh, I just couldn't get away from it. So I ended up coming in, helping him grow the business and have been there ever since. So September starts my 50th year at ACE, which is a little scary to say. You have probably seen some amazing upturns and downturns in this industry, haven't you? Oh, my word. Oh, my word. Yes. Tell me, what's been one of the most challenging situations you've encountered since you've been in this business for several decades? Oh, that's an easy one. I'd always wanted to expand our operation and have a branch office up in the the Tulsa market in the nineties, we were really successful. I had enough uh, capital to pull that off. And so I got permission to open a sales office up there. And so January 4th, of 2001, we uh, signed the papers and we were way above plan all the way through September 10th of 2001. Oh, I know where this is going. And then September 11th happened, and our entire industry just froze, locked down. It was immediately projected or predicted that 40 to 60% of moving companies were just going to close up mm. and lock the doors. Uh, all three major segments of the industry refused to move. The U.S. Armed Forces, they're the largest moving customer in the world. Uh, they had no idea if we were walking into World War III or what, so they froze. Uh, corporate America had no idea where to invest or what to do, so they froze. And you and me, like moving from home to home in inside Oklahoma or to Philadelphia, 
Uh, we didn't know what was coming. Everybody was so fearful that they froze. So I told my wife that we were in a significant threat, that I literally had no uh, business uh, spending it, uh, an entire day of the week, Sunday, uh, doing nothing because I had a company to save. When we were both saved, November 11th, 1983, uh, within a year, uh, the guy that was discipling me had me write out and memorize my my life purpose. And the start of it is to know, love, and glorify God by spending quality time with Him every day, reading His Word and praying with Him, and by making it a priority in my family's life to corporately worship Him each week without exception. Mm. And that was huge. That was huge to us. It was a bedrock principle. And I couldn't believe I was actually entertaining the idea of walking away from that to save a company. That Saturday, I was driving up to our Tulsa, Tulsa office. It's like I had God sitting over in the passenger seat, and I was kind of trying to explain my position to him of why I'm not going to be in church tomorrow or for the foreseeable future until this company is saved and back on a firm footing. And I told him, it's like I said, God, I tell you what, you sit over here and you let me do what I do and I'll save this company. You watch. And I'm sure he laughed. I'm sure he was really humored. <laughs> so anyway, I I did. I, I ratcheted up my work weeks to 80 to 100 hours a week. And I'd work three days up in Tulsa, couldn't spend any money, so I'd sleep on this old sofa out in the warehouse up there. And then I'd drive home and work four days in Oklahoma City. So, I mean, you name it, I was picking up all this different work so that I didn't have to hire support people to do it for me. That's where I came up with the term. I, I was burning the candle at both ends, I, and I, but I was even breaking it in the middle and burning it there. Mm. I knew it wasn't good for me. In 1983, I was selling two to $3,000 a month in drugs to support my own habits. I was a wreck. I knew one day I was going to drive home and find a couple of police cars, somebody from the DHS. My sons were six months and 18 months. You know, they'd take my boys away, and my whole life would change for the worse. November of 1983, I was pleading that this guy named Jesus Christ would take the steering wheel because I knew I was getting ready to drive it off the cliff, and and he did. And in that process, uh, overnight, uh, he took a, a half a dozen significant addictions out of my life just immediately. Wow. So I knew how powerful— uh, he is and was in my life. And for me to be playing this game during 911 uh, didn't make any sense, but sometimes we get blinders on when we get scared, I guess. The reason I bring that up is because about a year and a half into those 100-hour weeks, I talked myself into the fact that I needed to relax. I needed some relief. And so I allowed alcohol and uh, nicotine back into my life. And on the way up to Tulsa, I'd stop and get a bottle of booze and uh, some cigars. And for a while, I kept it from my wife. But sooner or later, I was also doing those things at home in Oklahoma City. By the end of 2002, I uh, decided that I needed to recenter myself, that I was getting out of hand. The way 
to do that, in my opinion, was to go back on a couple of medical mission trips. I love those. They're, they're just so powerful. So in November of 02, I went to uh, Ecuador. And then in November of 03, I went to Nicaragua. After we came back, it didn't take a day. And I'm out on the back porch of my house with my uh, drink and my cigar. I had a propane heater out there so I wouldn't, so I wouldn't freeze. And I looked down at both of my hands, and I prayed the most sincere prayer I've ever prayed in my life. And I prayed, I I said, God, how did I get back here? What am I doing with these? Would you please take these away from me? And I finished my drink and finished my cigar and carried on, and, you know, nothing stopped. I didn't have the ability. I was powerless uh, over those two addictions at that point uh, again. Mm -hmm. And so it was funny that that prayer, you got to be kind of careful what you pray for, because a week later, a a headache started. And it was just a normal headache. But a week later, it was still there. It was getting worse. My primary care doctor said, uh, man, you got to go get that scanned. So after the CAT scan, the uh, emergency room doctor came in and slowly closed the door, and we'll never forget it. My wife and I were sitting there, and the first words out of his mouth were, man, it's amazing how fast life changes. Wow. And we obviously were shocked, and he said, you've either got an abscess or a tumor up here in your frontal lobe. We can see it. I've got to get you admitted because the neurosurgeon is on her way in, and my guess is she's going to want to get in there and get it out quicker than later. This is occurring after you've been burning the candle at both ends and breaking in the middle, as you stated, in Tulsa, right? Running between Tulsa and Oklahoma City trying to save the business. Correct. And how long had you been doing that prior to getting this diagnosis now? Two years. Okay. So you were running flat out 100-hour weeks for about two years at this point in time. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Please continue. The I uh, told the emergency room doctor, no, no, I think we're going to go home and uh, pray about this. And he said, no, that's against medical advice. You've got to be admitted. So the early the next morning, uh, they cracked open my skull and took on a half a cup of my frontal lobe. I had an infection. Uh, fortunately, it was it was an abscess, not a tumor, mm. and um, it had infected the outer linings of my brain to so the minute the surgery happened i lost the ability to talk swallow or move any muscle i could only do two two things and that was blink and breathe two important functions by the way but yeah anyway it's i'll never forget that day in the icu recovery room and it's like god told me he said dave i tell you what why don't you lay here for the next six months and let me do what I do, and maybe I'll save your life. Wow. So that's what happened. Uh, it took me six months to get out of the hospital. I uh, went to Jim Thorpe for intensive rehab. Uh, they couldn't get me to do anything. All I could do still was blink and breathe. Uh, they gave us the uh, little bus ride home. What I mean by that is a caseworker and a nurse. They take you to your house and start showing your spouse how to remodel the home to bring you home and live that way the rest of your life. Mm. And I'm rolling through the house in my wheelchair and 
just pleading with God, you've got to, you can't be serious, God. This is my life going forward. It's done. I'm over. Are you serious? And I've just prayed and prayed. I mean, that's all I could do. Mm-hmm. Susie, my bride, was just a bundle of joy. Like this was an answer to prayer. She said, this is going to be so wonderful. We'll put the hospital bed here in the study where there's more sunshine. and We'll remodel this bathroom to be able to roll a wheelchair into the shower. I'm just devastated. Well, we got back on the bus and went back to Jim Thorpe, and God gave us a gift called staph infection. Uh, I picked up a staph infection there, so they had to keep me for two more weeks until I got rid of that. Mm. Well, that gave Susie, Susie time to work, and she pleaded and pleaded and prayed and pleaded with the insurance company some more because that's why I was going home, that they, they just weren't going to pay anymore because I was making no progress. Mm-hmm. And the insurance company said that they uh, would give me uh, 30 days in a step-down unit. Well, I didn't know any of this would have been going on. And so I get on the little bus again, and I'm going home. So I'm like, okay, God, here we go. And uh, we drive for a while, and we pull up in front of some building, and uh, they offload me. And I'm wondering what's going on. I'm guessing they've got to get me to do some paperwork or something. But I roll inside, and it's all people with gray hair and the strong smell of urine. Wow. I thought, oh, no, Susie's given up on me. I'm Mm -hmm. too much trouble. Mm. This is is my new home. It's a nursing home. And marriage oneness, I mean, I value that to no end because Susie knew exactly what I was thinking. She rolled me around behind a little plastic tree and got down and right eye to eye and even pointed at me with her finger. And she said, listen, I know what you're thinking and it's wrong. She said, I've talked the the insurance company into 30 days here. Uh, They have an in-house physical therapy team. Will you give me everything you've got? And let's see if we can get you out of this chair. And I just wanted to hug her neck off. But all I could do was sit there and blink blink and breathe. That's still all I could ever do. So, yes, I went into a nursing home, the physical therapy team, uh, did some things that even Jim Thorpe didn't do. And they got me out of that chair. God, God gave us a miracle in that nursing home, mm. and I'm living proof of it. So uh, I don't think I'll be missing Sunday worship anymore. To tell you the truth, <laughs> sure. <laughs> you were there for 30 days. Their their team, and of course, God's Spirit helped you get out of that chair. What happened after that time you left and going forward? What about your speech, and what was the road to recovery? What would that look like? It was amazing. The uh, speech therapist would stick a real cold rod down my throat and touch my vocal cords, pull it out, and say, okay, make a sound. And I'd just sit there and look at her. I'd, I'd try, but I couldn't make a sound. I couldn't do anything. And she even got mad at me once, and uh, she got right down in my face and pointed her finger at me, too. And she said, listen— I don't think you know who I am. You better get with it and start working. <laughs> well, I learned later on, <laughs> yeah, what do you do with that? I mean, I was laughing on the inside. Like, I am working here. Mm-hmm. Can't you tell? Well, no, obviously you can't tell. But, <laughs> you know, but what do you do with that? You know? You just and, blink uh, harder. Yeah, yeah. Right? Well, you can't even, you can't even, I couldn't control that. They, they never got a yes, no, 
like I couldn't communicate with anybody. They, mm. uh, if uh, Susie and I visit people today that are dealing with traumatic brain issues in the hospital, and we'll walk alongside their families. Most of those people can do a yes no, like look at this, look at your right, my right hand for yes, and my left hand for no. So tracking your eyes, they can tell what your answer is. Mm. But I couldn't even do that. So I didn't get my first yes no until the five month mark. Mm. Susie was holding my hand and the nurse and her were having the same discussion they've had a hundred times. Do you think he's hot or cold? Should we put another blanket on him or take this blanket off? And I hated that because they always got it wrong. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, And uh, so it was so funny. So this time I just, I, with everything I got, I just barely moved the hand that she was holding. And she looked down at me and said, was that you? And so I did it again. And she goes, oh, my gosh, he's 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 starting to talk. <laughs> and so they figured out uh, barely squeeze once, it's a yes. If I barely squeeze twice, it's a no. So that's where the yes, first yes, no started coming. Mm. The physical therapist there at the nursing home, uh, they did something that really blew my mind. I, I went, we went back over to Jim Thorpe afterwards to tell them what these people did. They just got 15 people around me. And again, I'm, I'm like a sack of potatoes. Mm-hmm. They stood me up and every one of those people grabbed or held on to a joint, like a knee joint or my hips or my neck uh, they, and they had a walker custom built to where my hands would go on a walker. People were holding my hands on the walker, holding my elbows in place. And they stood me up and held me there for about 15 seconds and set me back down. 30 minutes later, they did it again. And 30 minutes later, they did it again. And they did that multiple times a day. And about the third or fourth time, they stood me up. It's like my brain goes, oh, this is what we do. Mm. Everything started slowly coming back together. Within two weeks, I was stepping upstairs on my own. Incredible. With people just holding my balance. So, yeah, it was a a beautiful thing. We told them that I wanted to, to learn how to go upstairs because our Sunday school class at Henderson Hills, that's where we went to church, still do, uh, was upstairs, and I wanted to be able to walk up there when I got out of the hospital and thank all those people for everything they'd done for my family and my my two sons, my bride. I mean, they it was amazing. They come over here and mow. There was people that came and even planted flowers just so Susie would have something to look at. Mm. Uh, it was just staggering. It, one of the most beautiful things to behold in my mind anymore is the church in action because the body of christ Mm -hmm. and when you when you that's why it's so important to belong to a church and belong to a sunday school class we call ours community groups but that's where these kinds of miracles really happen after you had surgery how long was it before you had you gained full recovery? And who was taking care of the business during all this? What was happening there? My first and obvious answer is that God was taking care of it because um, He's the one that said, "You lay here for six months, and you know, let me do what I do." And and 
I'll save your life. And in the process, I'll save your company. Uh, I had a, uh, a dear friend that we've discipled each other since he came to work for me in 91. He uh, wanted to take the reins of the Tulsa office and uh, really grow it. And so he moved up there as my branch manager. He he was still driving up and back like I was. He got assigned to that spot in uh, the middle of 2002. Uh, he came back to Oklahoma City and started running the whole company. So uh, he today is my president. He runs he company. He just does a great job with that. Oh, that's great. From the time he had surgery until you were fully recovered and stepped back into helping with the business. What was the timeline there, Dave? It was extended. Uh, the I was in the hospital for six months, but I came out of the hospital, out of that nursing home um, on a walker, uh, still had a lot of rehabilitation to do. Uh, uh, I had Sue's had to take me on walks like every day. Uh, I'd lost 60 pounds in there mm. uh, because I had a had a peg line where they were just putting food straight into my stomach. So many of my muscles had atrophied in that six months and deteriorated. And so all of that had to be uh, renewed. The, the brain, uh, it, it's funny that uh, I've learned since then that there's only two organs in the body that uh, God uh, built or constructed to uh, uh, regenerate themselves. And um, Susie and I are both involved in addiction recovery for obvious reasons, because Dave needed it. Both of those organs are related to addiction, and that's the liver and the brain. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, God knew we were going to have trouble with those things, so he gave <laughs> us a fighting chance. Yeah. But <laughs> anyway, the brain will regenerate itself at about an eighth of an inch a month. So, that, you know, a half a cup of my frontal lobe was going to take quite a while to regrow. And, and frontal lobe is problem solving and speech initiation and things like that. I could not initiate a, a word. I couldn't start a sentence for the, for the life of me. It took me about two years after I got out of the hospital to get to the point where I could think my way out of a paper bag. Incredible. I would go to work and kind of sit there and listen and be involved, but I wasn't uh, productive at all for two years. And it, it really, I could even stretch it out further than that before I was really involved and running the company like I had been was probably more like four years. Paid a pretty heavy price. So during this time when you're not able to communicate, what what kind of internal dialogue is going on with you and the Lord in your heart and mind? <laughs> oh, my goodness gracious. Um, he, uh, he took care of that, too. Uh, a lot of people ask me, man, you had to be scared to death all that time. And, and he, he just gave me a, such a miraculous sense of peace. Mm. As serious as my condition was, I remember one uh, time the uh, neurologist who made the rounds at St. Anthony's, that's where I had my brain surgeries. He was in the room with Susie. They were both standing over here to the right side of my bed. I'm in a coma position, when I, and they say whenever you get into this position where your head is locked back, your mouth is 
wide open and locked open, and your eyes are rolled back in your head, the chances of you coming out of a hospital or surviving are really slim to none. Mm. It's it's really stacked against you. And that's the position I'm in, laying there. Now, I could hear everything that was going on around me. My eyes were rolled back in my head, but I could still see a kind of a crack of light and who or whatever was talking there, if they were in the right spot to where I could see them. Well, this neurologist and uh, my wife were standing beside me. He said these words. Now, Mrs. Howell, you have got to come to grips with yourself. This is the way your husband's going to be the rest of his life. You have got to get yourself prepared to take him home and care for him. And then it went silent. Susie didn't say anything. And they, I could see him walk out of the room through that crack in my eye. Mm-hmm. And they went, they went outside. And it was later on that I learned that, again, the power of this marriage oneness. Sue's, Sue's got all over him out in the hallway and said, he said, he could hear everything you just said. What do you expect him to do with that? Wow. He can't ask you any questions. He can't cry. He can't get mad and throw something. What do you expect him to do with that? Don't ever do that in there again. <laughs> and <laughs> nobody ever did. Nobody ever did. You know, I remember my president and CFO were uh, visiting me there. I was in that same position. And my CFO said, man, his lights are out. He's not coming back. We got to make some plans. Wow. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, what are they going to do to my company? You know, I mean, you hear all this. Sure. And, and, you know, that's probably one of the best lessons I can give anybody is if you ever visit somebody in the hospital and they're in a coma, tell them they're looking great and they're, they're improving. Uh, give them something posit- positive to think about. Don't sit there and, you know, diss them or something. So anyway, to answer your question, I'm sorry. I'll, I chase squirrels pretty easy. I, it's because I had brain surgery in 2003. That's my excuse. <laughs> so I wake up from the surgery and I can't talk, swallow, or move a muscle. All I can do is blink and breathe. So it's just me and him. There's no communication, no nothing. Mm-hmm. I can hear, but that's it. And God drops a thought in my head. It had to come from him. I know where it came from now. I didn't at the time. But the thought was... I don't cause all these hardships in life, but I'm not going to waste any of them. And I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. And I immediately, and I think this, again, it's him leading me, but I immediately turned that into a prayer because that's all I could do Mm 24-7 for four and a half, almost five months. And I turned it into a prayer, and I prayed this prayer right here over and over and over. I said, God, Please don't let me be so dense that I miss whatever message you're trying to get to me. Please don't let me miss it. That was your mantra for months. Yeah. I'd be praying this and Susie would be working, you know, she would come spend all the time she could in the hospital, which was such a comfort. But Uh uh, one day God said, are you watching this woman I gave you? Are you watching her? And he said, you know, you, you haven't even scratched the surface in your marriage. There's so much more. Wow. <laughs> so that gave me, I'm like, man, I'm gonna, I've got to get out of here just to experience that, you yeah. know. The next one was uh, prayer changes things. 
and it came in the our best friends. Uh, they, she stood up in our wedding, and we stood up in their wedding, and that, that's how close of friends we were. And they came up to the uh, hospital, and she just brought a sign, one of these little cheap signs you buy at the probably in the gift store downstairs in the hospital. But it, it's a dear thing to me today, and it's it's one of the most powerful lessons that I still hold on to real tightly, and that's that prayer changes things. Mm-hmm. That's all that was on that sign, and that's the only reason I'm alive today. I will fight you to the death if you try to convince me otherwise. I mean, it's, prayer is the only reason I'm here. Why do you say that specifically? The number of, I have a— Obviously, I have kept all the emails and letters and notes, all those mission trips I was going on. All those little communities were asked to pray. Mm -hmm. The sun probably never set on somebody that was praying for me uh, to get out of that situation that I was in. Yeah, Uh, I have some dear friends from our church, and they have a challenged uh, son that will live with them the rest of his life. And he's just such a precious soul. Uh, every night at dinner, they said for four and a half, five months would say, we're praying for Mr. David. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, it's just people prayed. Yeah, I mean, you cannot convince me that prayer doesn't change things. When uh, When Jim Thorpe said, you know, you're going home to live like this the rest of your life. And then to be able to sit here and tell you this story and having had walked on two feet and lived a normal life for the last 17 years mm-hmm. when I shouldn't have mm-hmm. it is just staggeringly powerful. It is. With respect to all the depth of experience you've had inside yourself and the Holy Spirit speaking to you, all these different things, what do you see now? as you scan the horizon of people's lives and particularly business people's lives, what are the things that pop up in your heart right now that you see most often that you'd love to speak to going through what you've gone through? It's uh, taking inventory every day of uh, whether you're relying on yourself or you're relying on God. How do you do that? Do you just know it in your heart? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're not looking up frequently, if you're not spending time with him every morning, if you're not asking it sometime during the day, God, what would you do with this? God, am I, am I on the right path? Am, am, I, am I just being an idiot here? Uh, or am I doing the right thing? Mm-hmm. God, where, where, are you, where would you want me to work? Where are you working? I mean, you, ha- you almost have to... Uh, summary of questions that you kind of ask yourself every day mm-hmm. because it's so easy. The world drags us away. We're, we're challenged as businessmen and women to do the most we can to multitask like crazy to spin plates. We're, we're all, uh, my life was like that carnival clown that would get plate spinning and his goal in life is to not let any of them fall and break. And he's, he's got a stick on the end of one toe. He's got a stick on his nose. He's got a stick in each hand and he's spinning plates on all of these, trying to keep them from falling to the ground and breaking. That's, 
pardon my French, but it's asinine. Mm -hmm. That's not how we're designed to live. Yeah. So that's the big one. Asking the Lord, reorienting yourself, at least in the morning and throughout the entire day, just kind of pinging, as it were, the Lord and saying, Lord, is this appropriate? Am I walking into the things you want me to walk into? Am I supposed to do these things? Right? Right. Mm-hmm. Is there something else that springs to mind, Dave, that you see a lot of business people struggling with in addition to that? Uh, if, I'm run- if I am running to hide from the stress in my life in something other than God himself, if I can't run to him and spend some intimate time dealing with this issue, then I'm developing an addiction. I mean, it's it's coming sooner or later. And the the trickle down for that can be so astronomical severe. Mm-hmm. It can just be so, so severe. So that's another thing to take stock in. Mm-hmm. It sounds as if one of the keys is really just walking, as it were, with your palms open all the time as much as possible and just saying, or whatever you drop into my hand, so to speak, that's what I'll take care of. Mm -hmm. Is there a, something that you tend to focus on daily when you meet with the Lord? Is there a pretty consistent daily ritual, if you will, of how you ask God for his help? Yes. Mm -hmm. What's that look like? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that. You know, the battle that, I think men probably battle with it more than women, but who am I to say? The battle between self-reliance and God-reliance is uh, pride is the greatest sin, though the Bible says. And so wanting to believe that I'm the one, you know, I've got a business to save here, God, you sit over here. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm talking about. We We want to believe that we're making this happen. Men are fixers. We struggle with that. Mm-hmm. The being able to sit in, um, uh, I went to counseling for a while and I strongly recommend that to anybody. It's not for the weenies of life, it's for the strongest of life. My counselor said that you need to get yourself to the point to where you're not running your company, God's running your company, and you're just listening to what he tells you to do. And you can't listen. You can't even hear unless you spend time with him in his presence. And I'd I'd never, I'd heard of this book, never picked it up. It's a little devotional called Jesus Calling. Mm -hmm. But it is, it is all coming. Every day's little devotion is coming from the position of living in his presence. And it's just such a strong little devotional. And and I I read some of God's word every day. I don't ever want to get away from his word. But that devotional mixed with what I'm reading every day uh, just does the trick. It allows me to sit back and benevolently disengage with the rat race called life mm-hmm. and engage with him. If there's one thing you could share with anybody that's listening to this, what would that be? And then I'm going to ask you to finish up by praying for everybody. Absolutely. Uh, One thing, the strongest message 
that I got when I asked God to uh, make sure I'm not so dense that I miss whatever message he has for me is that there is always fruit hiding inside of adversity. Mm. If you look for it, that has been the thing I've shared with more and more people in these 17 years since I got that message than anything. Because when a, when adversity comes, you put your label on that. They can be nasty bad, or you could break your foot or get a flat tire. Whatever adversity hits you, you have two choices right at that moment. And, and you're going to make one or the other instantly. Okay? So think about these. You're either going to just, and pardon my French, but you're either just going to bitch about it and say, God, why me? Why are you doing this to me? Or you're going to look up and say, God, what are you trying to teach me here? What's in this? Because God does his best work inside of adversity. That's where he's got our attention. So true. Look for the fruit hiding inside of adversity. Just look. You have a choice of complaining about it or looking for the fruit. Mm -hmm. Make that right choice, and your life will grow dramatically. I mean, it's just crazy. So powerful. Let's finish up here by giving you an opportunity to pray now for our listeners. Okay. Father God, your uh, presence is so real, and um, it is so sweet. Father, we um, so neglect that opportunity to just sit at your feet and rest there a while. Um, Father, I so pray that you would guard everyone listening to this from the barrenness of the busy life and that you'd allow us to rest, to steal away and spend time with you. You're our source. Uh, We are not our source. You are our source. And God, we pray that as we live our lives, as we run our businesses, as we manage our families, as we nurture our marriages and our relationships with our kids, that uh, you would be the one that's in the very middle of that and that you'd keep me, that you'd keep us out of the middle of that and that you would be glorified in the results. We just lay all of those things at your feet. We love you, Father. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. David, thank you. Thank you for sharing your heart. I appreciate it. You bet. Thank you for doing this. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the show and share this with someone you believe would be encouraged and motivated by these stories. Until next time, I'm Brian Robinson reminding you that the greatest decision you could ever make is to ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life. If you haven't done that, read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. Thanks again for listening.